Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters is brought to you by Cute Fruit Undies, makers of extremely cute, comfy, and eco-friendly period panties, pads, and briefs. They specialize in period panties with Trump's face in them, and without, if that's not really your thing. Find them at CuteFruitUndies.com and on Instagram, at CuteFruitUndies. from Los Angeles. Today on the show, we have cartoonist and health educator Creota Wilberg on to talk about drawing injuries. But first, I have some advice, a book club, and a little bit of news. The news first is sad, and that is goodbye, Coco the Gorilla. Coco um, had a book called Coco's Kitten in the 80s. She knew sign language. She taught me the best way to choose a kitten. I essentially lived in her book when I was a kid, and I was in the process of trying to meet her and do a drawing project with her. So I am bummed. But there are more gorillas in the world. There are more primates that want to do art projects. So onward we go. Um, in the meantime, I would like to have a Sagittarian Matters book club meeting today, or I would like to assign some books to you. These are books that are being assigned to my students at California College of the Arts. And what better time to bone up on history and remember how different regimes dehumanized certain sections of the population in order to implement oppressive social, do you call it social change when it's regressive? I don't know. But here's three books that I really like. One is Citizen 1360 by Mine Okubo. These are all graphic novels, graphic memoirs. Um, Citizen 13660 is one of the first graphic memoirs drawn and written by Mineo Kubo about her time being forced into an internment camp for being Japanese in the United States during World War II. She was an art student. Um, she was an international traveler. She came home to San Francisco, and she and her brother got shipped to an internment camp. And she couldn't bring a camera in there, of course, so she drew about it. And her drawings of the situation actually are what got her out of there because a magazine in New York found out about her drawings and sponsored her leaving. Anyway, great book, largely overlooked. I highly recommend it. The next book is Mouse by Art Spiegelman. You probably have heard of Mouse if you're a living, breathing human being, but I'm finding that more and more young people I talk to have heard of it and like kind of nod the way you're supposed to nod when people ask if you've heard a band that is a classic band, but they haven't actually read it. Uh, sit down and actually read Mouse 1 and Mouse 2. Those are the books. It is an autobiography, well, it's a biography of Art Spiegelman's father who survived the Holocaust. And it's just, it's a powerful book. It's a great historical item. And it was one of the first very popular mainstream graphic novels. Really recommend it. I'm rereading it right now. Lastly, if you haven't yet read the autobiography of civil rights hero, Representative John Lewis, please run, don't walk, and get the March Trilogy. Again, this is all in comics form, so it's easier to ingest in one way, and it is more emotionally resonant in another way. Um, these books are essentially about one of the people that marched shoulder to shoulder with Martin Luther King Jr., and he is one of the remaining civil rights heroes who's still alive, and he is actively working as a congressman to 
implement social change and work for social justice as a moral issue all the time. He's one of the bravest people in America. I can't believe we get to live in the same time as him. And I feel extraordinarily fortunate that he's told his story in this way. So the books are Citizen 13660, Mouse, and the March Trilogy. If I was a billionaire, I would buy you all copies of these books. We would all go somewhere in some cabins in the woods, read them, come together, sit around a fire every night, discuss what we had read, do some drawing exercises, um, metabolize the information, and then go march on the Capitol. But in the meantime, since we can't do that, if you read any of these books and you would like to give a little bit of feedback on your favorite parts to the podcast, you can always call our advice hotline and leave a message. 971 361 9998. Please tell us what you thought about the books and or you can always tag us hashtag Sagittarian Matters, hashtag Sagittarian Matters Book Club at Nicole J. George's um, with a photo of you and the books telling us what you thought of them. So that's everything I have to say. Now on to some advice. It is time for advice. I'm going to start with two questions that came into our advice hotline this week that are not really advice. And then we'll go to the last real question. The first one is for Hannah Gadsby, who was my guest on the show last week. Unfortunately, Hannah is not still around, so I received this. Hello, I have a question for Hannah Gadsby. Do you slash have you previously had a girlfriend? I can imagine it may be difficult to date people with a history of trauma. I'm interested to hear if you do date or if you feel it isn't needed slash you are happy without a significant other. Signed, Anonymous in Albuquerque. Um, or I'm going to guess they might be anonymous in Australia. Dear anonymous person, this seems like not advice. This actually seems like you're just trying to Google, does Hannah Gadsby have a girlfriend? Is that true? I'm so sorry. I don't like laughing at people's advice questions because I know they're so earnest, but um, you know from her show that Hannah has dated before, so I don't know what to tell you, but I I got kind of a kick out of this because I was like, this person just wants to know if Hannah has a girlfriend. Um, Okay. Does Hannah date? None of my business. And can it be difficult to date people with a history of trauma? It can be difficult to date someone with a history of trauma. It can be difficult to be the traumatized person dating but a lot of people do it probably everybody I know does it and how do you do it you have to have moments with yourself where you're feeling the feelings you have to understand how to locate those feelings and verbalize what's going on with you you need to be gentle with yourself gentle and understanding and patient with the person patient with yourself maybe get some outside help via a therapist or some kind of anonymous fellowship or group therapy situation so that you are not just enacting your past over and over and over again onto someone who is kind of a stranger. Okay, so that's my advice for that, and I did just make fun of you. Okay, the next thing we got, which is not advice, is somebody said, Dear Sagittarian Matters, you are not alone. I am not alone. Crying emoji. Thank you for projecting your real voice. (laughs) that's really nice I don't know what to say but listeners you are not alone and I will continue to project my real voice okay this is a real question hi Nicole I need some help 
My partner of three years has been deeply depressed for the majority of our relationship. In the past, they had tried talking to a counselor, but didn't take any of their advice and stopped going. Nowadays, they don't have energy or desire to get help or make changes in their life. I love them so much, and I want to support them emotionally, but I don't know how to protect my own happiness. What does being a good partner to a suicidal person look like? Sincerely, Crestfallen and Corvallis. P.S. More context. My partner and I have been friends a few years before we dated, and while they had low points, they were overall a happy and grounded person. Dear Crestfallen and Corvallis, I'm so sorry this is happening. This sounds very hard for your partner. This sounds very hard for you. So first I want to talk to you about you. Um, what what does being a good partner to a suicidal person look like? And how do you protect your own happiness? Well, the first thing I need to tell you is you need to keep your own focus on yourself. The only thing you have control over in this situation is you. You are not a counselor. You are not a psychiatric nurse. You are not a psychotherapist. You can be a wonderful person. You can be a loving partner, but you cannot fix your partner's the things that are happening in your partner's brain that are causing them to stress, you cannot fix those, even if you really, 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 really want to. So I'm going to go back to this old reliable, keep the focus on yourself. Put on your own oxygen mask before you help put the oxygen mask on the people around you. Um, what does that mean? That means maybe you have your own counselor. Maybe you have your own therapeutic practice. Maybe you learn to detach you know, detachment with love means making sure you're not enmeshed with someone else's feeling. Their feeling is not your feeling. You get to still have a good day, even if someone else isn't having a good day. Uh, Beth Pickens was on the podcast a couple of months ago, and we got a pretty similar question. And her advice was, you know, you can't fix someone else's depression or anxiety. You can love them. You can lovingly detach from them and take care of yourself. And something she said that I thought was so valuable was, if you don't take care of yourself, you have nothing to give anyone else. When we give out of deficit instead of abundance, it turns into resentment and it's poison for a relationship. So if you want to stay in this relationship, or if you want to be able to give your whole self to the relationship, you need to have a whole self to give. So do what you need to do to take care of yourself and know that self-care is not selfish. And... Yeah, and you can also ask your partner, like, what can I do when you're feeling like this? What is the best thing that I can do for you? Or what do you need? You know, be very direct. Don't try to intuit it. Don't overcompensate for them. Um, don't overfunction for them because it's not helpful in the long run. That's my best advice. And they, they got to know that if they're feeling suicidal and they tell you they're suicidal or that they want to kill themselves that you take that very seriously and that that may mean that you need to call somebody who can better deal with that situation than yourself, like a mental health professional. Because you, as wonderful as you may be and as caring as you may be, are not qualified to keep someone from killing themselves. You know what I mean? And if, someone, if someone's holding themselves hostage, they need to know that that is a the most serious cry for help a person can give. And so you will respond by getting them the help they need. So take care of yourself. Be sweet and patient with your partner. Um, bring your whole self to the relationship. And good luck to you.
I'm hoping for a wonderful outcome for you and your partner. And if you have a question for Sagittarian Matters, text or call 971-361-9998. It will be answered by myself or a whole host of mostly queer-leaning advisors. Now on with the show. Creative Elberg is a cartoonist, a massage therapist, and an educator in health sciences and the arts. She has a new book, The Fully Illustrated Draw Stronger, a comprehensive self-care guide for artists interested in preventing repetitive stress injuries and sustaining a pain-free, lifelong drawing practice. Creota joined me from her home to chat about her book, and she gave me a test to self-diagnose whether or not I had texting strain, and I aced it with flying colors, meaning I have texting strain, so please stop texting me. Now please enjoy my talk with Creota Wilberg. Creota Wilberg, welcome to Sagittarian Matters. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. You've been on my list for a long time, but the occasion, I, I, was, I guess I needed an occasion, and the occasion for me is the publication of your book, Draw Stronger, Self-Care for Cartoonists that's, and Visual Artists. Yeah, that's gratifying to hear. I, um, but I, I found out about you because you published, this is kind of an expanded version of two, I'm going to call them best-selling zines. Okay. I, I don't know your sales figures, but... <laughs> two best, two two like two great zines that you did, that were about self care for artists. Right. No pain, right. and yep. first aid for drawing injuries. Both of which I have. Both of which I have used. Ah, uh, great, great. Yeah. Um, can you talk about how you came to make these and what your background is? Sure. So uh, I, um, well, I I was a dancer for thirty years. And I got injured all the time. So I had experience with musculoskeletal injuries from that perspective. But I've also been a massage therapist since the 1980s. And I have drawn all my life. Um, I started getting into comics. And I also teach anatomy to artists. And my husband and I were guest faculty up at the Center for Cartoon Studies a few years ago, six years ago. That's where I heard about Um, you for the first time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I was teaching the first-year students, and the very first week we were there, the student, many of the students would sit with their sketchbooks in their laps and then curl up into these fetal balls while they were drawing. Um, And, you know, even with a drawing horse and an easel or a table, people would just opt to put the book in their lap and then curl around it. And these students, some of them had been like uh, engaging in a rigorous drawing practice, but a lot of them were not physically prepared for drawing, you know, eight to 10 or more hours a day, every day, you know, because that's what school demands. So I, um, I got a little concerned that, people were going to start to get injured and some people did have some issues with pain from the repetitive stresses. So I started looking online for resources for people and I couldn't find anything I really liked or that was like comprehensive enough. Um, so I was just like, okay, fine. I will write the book. (laughs) 
So I made I made no pain while I was there. So it's a sixty page mini comic, and that was like that was the essential material that I really felt that like they needed. And once I made that, um, the school actually would buy um, a mini for each student that was coming in for a new class every year. So I had a I had a um, guaranteed audience just in that. So even after we left, the students were still getting my mini comics. So that's how it came about. That's a little long-winded, but um, yeah, it's I I just you see <laughs> you see the train heading for the cliff, and you do your best to stop it, and that's what it was. You know. What do you? What are the most common drawing injuries? Um, I I think so. I don't have statistical evidence for this, but I believe that most of them are tendonitis. So, uh, and a tendonitis literally means an inflammation of a tendon, but the tendon can get inflamed for a number of different reasons. Um, the stress put on the tendon by the muscles as people are drawing can cause like little micro tears in the tendon and that will cause it to um, become inflamed and be painful. And then the muscle will become weak. Um, but also, as a result of that, the tendons for the fingers that run through the carpal tunnel, as they like have tendonitis for long periods of time, they can start to thicken and then they will cause a carpal tunnel syndrome. But the underlying pathology is actually a tendonitis. Oh, my God. How can you tell the difference between if you've like gone over the cliff into carpal tunnel? Right. Um, with carpal tunnel, you'll start to get uh, often like shooting pain, tingling, numbness, and it'll be into uh, finger, your thumb, and then your second, third, and part of your fourth finger. That's carpal tunnel syndrome. Pain, weakness, numbness in those fingers. But tendonitis can lead to other things, and I think that, like I said, I can't back it up statistically, but I think tendonitis is actually the most common underlying pathology. So it's just essentially this constant tugging on the tendon that leads to it kind of like um, getting stressed like a rope would get stressed. So fibers in the tendons start to fray and weaken, and then the tendon doesn't have to like sever, <laughs> but it can cause a lot of problems, you know, just with that fraying over time or even just more immediately. Holy cow. It's it's all it's all horrifying, I think, to think a little when I think a little bit further about my tendons and the things that are possibly happening, you know. I, I'm always surprised that bodies even work at all. Well what I'm always amazed is what I'm always amazed at is how bodies repair themselves. Mm-hmm. So you can, you can do, and we all do all sorts of things to ourselves like every day in every way. And, you know, our bodies are just like these loving, stupid puppies that just keep coming back for more because it's oh so much fun. So they'll repair themselves and then just, you know, yeah, come back for more drawing, come back for more whatever. Um, and it's not just muscles and bones, you know, it's like our livers, you know, it's like they pick up all the beer or whatever, <laughs> you know, alcohol, whatever, toxins in the body. Kidneys are constantly pulling toxins out of our body. And it's just, 
it's just really amazing how resilient people are. You know, we just keep recovering from insult and injury. And we never notice until it interrupts our daily lives or, you know, when it causes us to not be able to do the things we want to do, that's when we notice there's a problem. So we just keep repairing ourselves over and over again until suddenly the repairing isn't going exactly the way we wanted it to. Well, I want to say I from reading your books, I started treating myself like an athlete. Um, Yay. Some listeners may remember me saying before that after I finished Calling Dr. Laura, which was my first book, um, it was you know, it was about 300 pages. And after I finished inking it on a tight deadline, two things happened. One, I finished it after this really this really aggressive inking pace. And then I got a tattoo on my wrist, so my arm was really stressed. And the next day, my wrist had collapsed. I, I slept in a weird way, and then I woke up, and my wrist was no longer functional. I couldn't turn a key in the door. I couldn't open a car ha- door handle. I couldn't cut a bagel. I couldn't do anything. And um, I had some horrible free health care at the time in Portland because I had no money because I just spent three years making a graphic novel, not you know, making a fortune as I'm accustomed to. And I went to this free clinic, and they gave me a wrist brace to sleep with, which was uh-huh. really helpful. And then I, I had like a horrible community acupuncture experience in which I, in which the, while the guy was putting in needles, he's like, oh, I've read your diary comics. I know all about your life. And then I just, a combination of all the anxieties of everything, just I overheated and I was like, I have to get these out. I have to go barf. Um, but anyway, after that, when I was inking my next book, I was like, holy cow, I really need to take very good care and baby myself and act like an athlete because I cannot have my wrist fall apart again. Right, right. And yeah, so you you took responsibility, which is really great to hear. You know, I mean, that's, that's one thing that happens often. As a massage therapist, I'll have patients come to me and, you know, they'll want me to, I'm using air quotes here, to fix something for them. I can make them feel better, but unless the patient does something in terms of exercise or other things to like proactively take care of their bodies they're going to like come to back to me like one or two weeks later with the same exact thing going on so it's really great to like hear you say that you took responsibility <laughs> oh my gosh i'm so I, I love getting brownie points anywhere i can i just <laughs> so for my second book the things i did i now i draw almost straight up and down with my drafting tables now almost straight up and down when I'm doing a painting it is almost straight up and down it's just just a little bit tilted when I'm working on a comics page and I tape the pages on there so they will stay Uh, when I'm doing a book like this I'll take turmeric I'll try to stick to an anti-inflammatory diet I'll do pilates and stretching go for walks sleep with a wrist brace ice my wrist at the end of a day that's had a lot of inking do like stretches and stuff um and sometimes just wrap my wrist in an ace bandage at the end of the day after inking. And it makes me feel like a drama queen at the time because other people I know are like, oh, my God, all you're doing is drawing. But And also, there's two things. One, this felt appropriate for me doing my second book, and it helped me ink the whole way through on a tight deadline. But also, I feel like I scare my students a little bit. When I'm teaching people that have only that are new to drawing, they're like, should I be doing all that stuff? And I, I sometimes I'm like, no. I mean, this is me having drawn like thousands of pages of comics 20 years right. later, having to go to right. great lengths. Like, I feel like there must be a smaller version of that 
that I can pass along to students and new artists. So they're taking care of themselves, but they're not like, like I'm walking around like basically with like a neck brace and like a wheelchair after I've drawn a page of comics. Sure. Well, you know, I'm not adverse. So for younger people, because their experience of physical discomfort is very different. Like as you age, you start to, you experience your body differently. And as you age, like injury becomes, um, this is kind of stupid sounding, but injury becomes more traumatic. Mm-hmm. Like psychically, you know, when you're younger, you can like get injured and then it'll just go away or something will happen and, you know, you just go on your merry way. So with younger artists, you know, like when we're looking at artists in their teens and 20s, I'm not adverse to a little drama. <laughs> you know, like, like the wheelchair and the neck brace. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to people that actually are using wheelchairs and neck braces for perfectly reasonable reasons. Today's episode of Sagittarian Matters brought to you by Cute Fruit Undies, Mary Pinson, Shoshana Ruth Wechter, and Christy Herod. If you would like to support Sagittarian Matters, including producer Chris Sutton, please send million, that's your business, via PayPal to hornetleg at gmail.com. That's hornet, like the insect, leg, like its appendage, at gmail.com. Thank you for your support, and we look forward to saying your name on the podcast. Producer Ponyo looks forward to it, too. Don't be scared. That's Ponyo's voice. Do you have maybe, like, Three tips for beginning artists or young cartoonists that they can do to kind of just have a good practice. Right. So the first, really the foremost thing is that they need to take breaks. And when I when I say breaks, I mean you have to get away from your drawing, regardless of what you're drawing on, and not get on your phone. Like, get away. Like, do not text, do not look at a screen. Do not, not use your hands in little ways, right? And that's the most important thing. So it would be nice if you were doing something during the break, like stretches or just like, you know, running around the block twice or, you know, something. But even if you just step away and don't do anything for five minutes, like every hour, that will still actually help you go a long way. And although it... um sounds counterintuitive taking breaks also helps you build discipline because it's really hard to take a break if you're like really focused and interested in what you're doing you just want to keep going like oh what's one more hour you know what's two more hours like you just want to kind of keep going until you can kind of like wind down from that but if you realize that you need to be able to step away you can still keep thinking about the work and then come back to it like with fresher focus and keep going. But it's very easy for us to say, no, no, I'm just going to keep going and then I'll take my break after I'm done with my thought. But that actually is really, that's more indulgent than being able to say, no, I've got to take a break now, take it now, come back. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, by taking regular breaks, even if you don't want to, I think that that can actually help you build a more focused drawing practice because it can also help you do other things that you may not want to be doing, but you know are necessary for the practice as well. 
So, yeah. So take breaks. I like in your book that you recommend warming up before you draw by even doing jumping jacks or something to warm up your body for what you're about to do. Yeah, so connective tissue, if you heat it, it's kind of like jello, right? Because jello is made of collagen. Yeah, it's made out of other people's <laughs> connective tissues. Yeah, yeah. Or, you know, animal connective tissue yeah. or whatever. So our connective tissues, our ligaments, our tendons, you know, our muscles, everything has, you know, collagen in it. So although we don't act exactly like jello, if you heat us up, we become more pliable, right? Just like jello. If you, if, you know, you leave that bowl of jello out in the sun for five minutes, you know, it becomes more stretchable or malleable, and so do we. So if you do something to get your heart rate up, right, that will get you breathing a little harder, that will actually heat your tissues. So you don't necessarily have to make it um, specific, but just like five minutes of some kind of cardio or whatever. Like uh, just this morning, I... um, I just turned on propeller heads and jumped around the house for five minutes. And then I sat down to draw like that's what I did. I hadn't listened to propeller heads in a while and they were pretty, they're pretty good for that kind of thing. So, um, that heat will actually help make your problem areas also a little more flexible. Mm-hmm. So if you have a tendonitis or some other like overstretched or problem area, getting your body temperature up will make it um, a little bit less prone to insult. Then you can you can follow up that um, heating up with some stretching or some other kind of like movement or strengthening exercises that are more specific and, and target the areas you really need to target. So Wonderful. Yeah. I can't wait to pass this on to my students. <laughs> um, do you have any last words about texting or doing things with your phone how has that changed your i don't know your medical outlook or has it changed the injuries people are coming in with or exacerbated them um well actually i do i write this column for the comics beat called get a grip which is injury prevention for artists creators and I, the last column that was just published was about a type of tendonitis called decorvain's tendonitis or tenosynovitis, decorvain's tenosynovitis. And it's um, a kind of tendonitis that affects the sheaths of your thumb. So there's actually an orthopedic test that I put in there. So it, in theory, if you're using your thumbs a lot to text or do other things, you're, you're using these tendons a lot. So if you hold your hand out with your thumb toward the ceiling and then you put your your thumb onto your palm and then make a fist, wrap your fingers around your thumb, yeah. and then you pull your thumb with your wrist down toward the floor, if you feel like any pain <laughs> in the side of the wrist... Oh, no! Then you may be in danger <laughs> of decorvain's tenosynovitis. I know, I'm in danger! <laughs> So, so I wrote this article for Get a Grip, and I tweeted about it, and a couple other people picked it up and tweeted about it, and people were just like, "Oh my god, it hurts!" Like, <laughs> oh no. Okay. So it was kind of great. I was totally vindicated there. It was very exciting for me. But that's but that's 
a type of you know tendinous injury that comes from isolating can i from either a lot of gripping work or from like isolating your thumbs or from lifting how can we undo New it mother- hmm? how can we undo it so rest mm-hmm. <laughs> less texting but also that same thumb position thumb on your you know on your palm holding with your fingers and then gently um pressing your pinkies down toward the floor if you do, you can do this also as a stretch, as a gentle stretch. So if you do it, but short of pain, right? Because you don't want to put yourself into pain. But if you do it when you take a break, just hold it, you know, for a few seconds short of pain, like over time, that should also help to like, um, you know, lengthen the tendon out and give it a little bit more uh, pliability. Wow. If it, uh, yeah, if you have swelling there or any other kinds of things or, or if the pain gets worse, obviously you need to see a doctor or a physical therapist, right? Yeah. But the orthopedic the orthopedic test also happens to be a good stretch. <laughs> I'm so glad. Gosh, that I... article... hmm? Go ahead, go ahead. That article actually made me think that I, I should probably put more orthopedic tests in my articles because they're like fun projects for people to do. <laughs> Well, also then, you know, because it could be something that you're living with. You're like, this is a normal amount of pain. And then you do the test and you're like, oh, I'm one step yeah. closer to seeing a doctor or taking this seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's another thing. It's like we can treat ourselves up to a certain point, but then there's a point where you really need to see somebody. Like when the self-treating is not working, like if after a couple of weeks, like you're not getting better and you've been doing everything, then it's really time to go see a professional because you know it may not be what you think it is you may need a different treatment you know there are all sorts of things that could be going on i like so. in your comics there's always somebody whose hand looks like a balloon who's like oh oh is this normal and it's, their hand is like as big as a baseball mitt <laughs> i'm always yeah. struck by yeah. that i am um, so i hate books that tell you what to do as if you don't, don't know anything it's just like, trust me, this is good for you, go do it kind of stuff. Like, I hate that. So um, so the characters in the book who are getting injured or, you know, getting swollen or whatever, they let things go to extremes. They are not the brightest. You know, sometimes they're smart, but sometimes they're not. Like, I actually went through the whole book and, like, tried to make sure that everybody did stupid stuff equally and everybody did smart stuff equally. <laughs> That's how I write heroes and villains in my books, too. For every villainous thing they do, I have them do something lovable. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So there's a distribution of whatever. But but I think making, making things a little extreme or making them kind of silly make it safe for us to say, oh, wait, I have swelling in my hand. That's stupid. My hand doesn't look like a baseball mitt. But, oh, I have swelling maybe I should actually go see a doctor, right? So I take things to extremes because I don't want people to feel like I'm saying, you've done this, you're bad or stupid. It's like, no, look, these people are like, they're more human than we are. Like they're willing to take things further. And that's what you do with comics also. You can take things further to make your points. But um, but that's I think that's one of the strengths of also working King in comics, especially in the area of what we call graphic medicine, you mm-hmm. know, comics about health in the body, you can kind of like exploit situations in ways that like 
bring it home to us so we can kind of experience those states through these like um exaggerated drawings so anyway yeah so people's hands become baseball mitts or their you know their necks literally tie in knots whatever it is i like that a lot yeah (laughs) we've all felt that way (laughs) whether we actually look like that or not so there is there are sample routines you can do in the back. So you read you read the whole book, and you're like, oh, sure, there's a lot of routines and information. So in the back, there's sample sets of stretches and things that you can do every time you draw. There's first aid for if you do ha- happen to injure yourself. And um, there's lots of great drawings of people of all intelligences doing uh, <laughs> doing things. Some of them have necks that look like a zigzag lightning bolt. Some of them have a neck tied in a knot. There's a lovely illustration of pain in which he looks like a lightning bolt sticking around being like, hey, hey, cartoonists, (laughs) I'm here. Anyway, it's a lovely book and people can get it from Uncivilized Books. Sagittarian Matters is produced by Chris Sutton with assistance by Ponyo Georges. Our theme music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs of the band Bouquet. Thank you for listening, and I'll see you next time.